Hello and welcome to the Hardy Boys Unofficial Fan Podcast. My name is Luke, and I am the host of the Hardy Boys Unofficial Fan Podcast. As someone who learned to read from the Hardy Boys, the Hardy Boys have been a part of my life for a very long time, and I'm excited to start this fan podcast to discuss various topics within the Hardy Boys universe. 2020 saw the release of the 13-episode series The Hardy Boys on Hulu. For the inaugural podcast, I will be discussing this TV series with a special guest. Curtis, perhaps better known as Skywarp, is the owner and creator of the HardyBoysCaseFiles.com fan website. The fan website includes an encyclopedia as well as a forum moderated by Skywarp. Curtis, how are you doing? Doing well. Doing well today. Uh, before we get started, could you maybe give a little brief background about yourself, how you got into the Hardy Boys, the background of the website, and when you started it? Originally got into Hardy Boys themselves back in the 80s when the Case Files came out. Started picking them up every month from that point forward. Was hooked rather quickly. To be honest, it's one of the very few book series in general that I've ever read. I'm not a, a huge reader, as, as perhaps a lot of people might be that get into a series and such. But that one caught my interest, and I stuck with it clear to the end of the case files. Since that time, I've followed and kept up with all the rest of the series. I've not necessarily been a big reader of the more recent series. I think they're targeted for a, a younger demographic, obviously, some of the newer series. But um, stayed with it. The website, though, was a story in of itself that really wasn't related to the Hardy Boys for its purpose to begin with. Back in the 90s, when uh, websites and the Internet were really starting to flourish, I wanted to teach myself a little bit about learning how to do websites, and so I tried to find a topic that I thought would be something that I was familiar with, but at the same time not fully fleshed out on, on the web. And so I chose the uh, Hardy Boys. I really modeled it after, at the time, a couple websites that dealt with uh, G.I. Joe at the time, where they kept all kinds of data and information on it. I was a big, of course, growing up in the 80s, a big fan of uh, G.I. Joe. So I thought, you know, I could make a Hardy Boys site similar to that. I'll take every single character or place and thing that has happened within the series and document those and uh, put those out there. It was originally something that I just put on back in the day when you used to have free space given to you by your ISPs for websites. I, it just started up on something like that and a test to just learn how to do HTML. And, and as time went on, it has evolved into what it is today, a tad bit more deep than a little personal site on your ISP's uh, domain. It's been an interesting time and, and, and enjoyed keeping it up ever since then and got it to where it is today. It's still got a lot of growing to go, that's for sure. So do you have a complete collection of the case files? I do. I have all the case files. I have, I think, off the top of my head, every regular printed book since that time. Not counting the commonly called digests that were printed after the case files started. I don't necessarily have each one of those. But all the series that started post-case files, I believe I have each one of those now. Yeah, well, uh, first person to me isn't, isn't canon, so I don't count those. Um, <laughs> yeah. I have not. I have not read most of those. In fact, I've don't think I've read any Clue books or Clues Brothers or Secret Files at all. So with that, I guess we'll transition to the uh, Hardy Boys TV series that was released in 2020 on Hulu. Let's start our discussion by talking about the setting. Is this Bridgeport or is this Bayport? That was an interesting uh, thing going into the series. I was expecting it to be Bayport. I had no reason why they would uh, 
do that one way or the other, but they definitely named it Bridgeport. Not exactly sure why. I mean, there's all kinds of theories I could come up with, but I think in the end, for me, it's a minor thing one way or the other. It's a town name. I thought it was even more interesting, though, that the, the some of the other town names that they had. Are you referring to things like Dixon City? Yep, and the fact that that's where they start the series off and they grow up there. So different from the from the book series where it's Bayport, as far as I can recall, all the way through where they live. Fenton was a cop in New York City, in the case yep. files at least. So is Dixon City supposed to be an analog to New York City? Characters keep referring to it as the big city. So is it supposed to be as big a metropolis as New York? I think so, at least from what I got from the from the TV series. So that it's not like they changed massively any storylines or plot lines or backgrounds necessarily as far as cities go. They just changed the names. We don't know if they were ever in Dixon City or New York City prior to Bayport as kids, or was it post they were born when he moved? Isn't there some, I think there might be some discussion in Edge of Destruction about when they moved. I can't remember. Getting back to the Bridgeport-Bayport distinction, I mean, Bayport is a real town, and there's some discussion that in the original series, Bayport was actually based on a real-life Bayport. But so is Bridgeport. They're both the names of real towns in the New England area. The setting appears to be vaguely Long Island-ish, close enough to Dixon or New York City that people are familiar with it and go there far enough away that it's still a small town. And I think that's key, and they carried that over. So, Book people, when we watch film adaptations, we always want everything to be exact. <laughs> but Bridgeport to Bayport, a name change, isn't that big a deal. But there are some maybe thematic differences. Bridgeport appears to be smaller than Bayport, which had about 50,000 people in the originals and the case files. It has a large shopping mall and a presidential candidate makes a visit. While Bridgeport appears to be a very small town with like one diner and although it has a pretty big library. So could it be that this town grows from the early 80s where I think this sort of takes place? Maybe. And there's certain things that change my mind on that at times to the late 80s when the books came out. If you wanted to try to quote-unquote connect canon you could say that okay so maybe the town just hasn't grown to the full size yet they get that big shopping mall later there's a really great chapter in cult of crime that's very out of character for the hardy boys where chet is walking downtown and he's thinking about how much bayport has changed and he's walking through the city center and all these shops are closed because everything's moved out to the shopping mall out on the interstate and he's just sort of reminiscing about you know the death of downtown versus suburbia so that could yeah. be that could be some connection there maybe they've even changed their name since then for some yeah. strange reason <laughs> as far as the timing of the series go it's set in the 80s but it's not that strange for things in your face about it where you know they're eating egos and watching et and all this stuff it's just sort of in the background i, I thought it was really well done you know there's no computers there's no cell phones Growing up in the 80s, there are a lot of things there that just, as I'm watching with my kids, they were asking questions like, why do they do that? Why is it that way? And I'm just, it just went right past me like, this is normal because that's just the way things were when I grew up. It definitely hit that 80s part. I mean, there's a few things that I wondered as I would see things. I'm like, oh, I'm not sure that matches the 80s perfectly or or something. It might come a little bit past the 80s. But then I think back like, well, no, I think that did did exist, but maybe I just didn't have that in my life at that time. Yeah, I think one of the TVs in the living room has like it's a flat screen in the background. I noticed that. But I, I, an interesting choice and one that I didn't have any issue with and I actually quite enjoyed. I think setting it in the 80s actually plays a big part in how they were able to write some of the story, the plot lines. Uh, I mean, if you did it in modern times, there'd be so much of how things would be done differently between having the internet and different... Uh, 
technological advances since then, I think it'd just you'd have a totally different feel of the story. When people set these things in past time periods, is it just as a crutch because the writers couldn't figure out how to make the story work with modern technology? Because cell phones and the internet solve so many plot problems that a lot of these older books revolve around. Moving on to the characters in the story, we'll start with the Hardy Boys, who are the title characters. So Frank is 16, which is about the same age as he is in the original series, but kids are less mature now than they were back in the 20s. It comes in, you could drop in the, him in right before Tower Treasure. He's about that level of maturity. He's got a job, he's somewhat independent, but he is not in the mindset that he would be in, say, the Case Files or any of those later books where he has a lot of yep. detecting experience. Coming into the series before it came out and the announcement and we're reading the, the PR releases and everything that they were going to be a separate separated age between the two and both of them would be younger than normal, it caught me as a little bit like, mm, I'm wondering where this show's going. I mean, there are several things that I was just a little uncertain about thinking of from the trailer and PR releases and different things. And to be honest, I was a little um, concerned maybe for what the show might end up being. In the end, I think putting the ages at where they were, 16 is the oldest one, I think it, it worked out for the story that they're telling. And it's not a, hey, we're the Hardy Boys, we've been solving cases forever type show. It's a, this is the beginning in a sense. Yeah, and I definitely picked up that vibe. So I, Frank is 16, Joe is 12. So I think they both could work as origin stories. I'm, I think, a little more skeptical than you are about the age gap because Frank, Frank is about ready to be dropped into you know the original or the revised series. Joe, on the other hand, at 12, he's a little older than Clues Brothers, where he was nine. But he, he his story is given off kind of an Encyclopedia Brown vibe, where he's got Biff, who's his Sally, walking going around with him. A lot of the reviews I've seen suggest that the show was trying to target two demographics at the same time. In Splitting the Baby, I think they may have killed either one. I think they should have gone fully in either with this 12 and 13, it's a kid's show, they're solving mysteries together, or it's this more teen-oriented 16-15 show. I think for the first season, they did a really good job with that. I do agree that, especially going forward, I think it becomes more difficult uh, if they were to get a second season or third season or what have you, to continue that. That age gap definitely becomes uh, more of an issue, I think, as time goes on after, hey, they've been initiated, quote-unquote, the series start up, these are the Hardy Boys. Uh, now, <laughs> how do you accomplish some of these same things that we're used to in the stories and the books when one is still four years behind the other one. One's going to graduate from high school in, what, two years, and the other one's going to be six years. I, it's, it gives a whole different feel, play, and dynamic to a series that we're used to them being uh, right next to each other. I think one aspect of their relationship that the show did well is it followed in the case files of vein of trying to differentiate their personalities. In the original and revised series, you could switch Frank and Joe around in any given story and you wouldn't no one would really notice anything. But in this show, they do differentiate them. Frank is a pretty athletic but also very cerebral. His intelligence is actually more central to his personality in the story than his athleticism, which really only comes into play a couple times. Whereas Joe is more of a lock-picking and electronics guy, which mm -hmm. is more Frank's characterization. Joe is always portrayed as pretty athletic, good in a fight, which is harder to do when he's 12. 
That's one of the things that caught me right off the very beginning when the series started, and we're introduced to Frank being sent out there with his mom throwing baseball. And uh, I was just like, I immediately thought, wait a minute, this feels like it should be Joe in a sense throwing the baseball. But what helped me get over that real quick was him throwing the glove basically into the where his mom was buried. As the series went on, we got the idea, and I agree that sort of Joe was a little bit more of the technical side, um, although he seems to have some artistic ability too. He seemed to have a lot of interesting abilities as the series went on, and uh, Frank wasn't necessarily that uh, technical side that I would have seen him more of from the case files. Yeah, I liked both of the actors. I thought both of the actors oh, yeah. did a good job with their yeah. with their personality. Again, my only issue with them is I think this would have been I think they both are perfect characters in two different series. I think they're great actors too. My kids, my wife were watching with me a lot of it, and they commented that the actor that played Joe was just, they liked him a lot. Moving on to the Hardy Boys' father, Fenton, we don't see a whole lot of him. He comes in at the beginning, at the end, behaves pretty much as you'd expect Fenton Hardy to behave, with one small difference at the beginning of, you know, the Tower Treasure. He's using the Hardys in his detecting for sort of safe missions. So he has them delivering messages, that kind of thing. And in the series, he doesn't want them getting involved at all. He keeps them totally in the dark, which is, I think, an understandable change considering the party boys are both younger and mm-hmm. this case just got his wife killed. He was, what, the first couple episodes, and he was out for four episodes at least, I think, before they even had him back in it again, which plays with the storyline, of course. But I think that, in a sense, is sort of like when I grew up with the case files, he was not in every book. And so he was there with some, especially the very first one, and then he was missing a lot of them. So I didn't feel out of out of the ordinary in that aspect. In this series, I think the actor that played him played him pretty well. He sort of fit my expectation, and I think I didn't have any qualms. Yeah, he fit my expectations, but did not exceed them. Yep. And then the other parent, Laura, dies in the first episode, and this is the it gets into the family history that's going to drive the plot. An interesting choice to kill off a Hardy in the first episode, not totally unprecedented. The first case file, we have a death of a main character. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to kill off a Hardy, does Laura ever have any role in any story other than just sort of being a generic mom? Thinking off the top of my head, I think she probably had more characterization from the three undercover books that I ever read than she probably did many of others. And that's only because I remember I'm talking about her, what, being a librarian or something. If she's even in a book, which is very seldom, she doesn't have much more than just she's walking through or she says hi as they come into the house or, hey, she was on vacation with their dad somewhere, and that's about it. (laughs) So, I mean, I guess we can go to the other. The real matriarch of the Hardys is Aunt Gertrude, who they borrowed the undercover categorization of her as Trudy in this one. So what was your opinion of attractive and, I think, vaguely lesbian Trudy? My thoughts on her kept changing back and forth throughout the series. Growing up with the case files, I always thought of Aunt Gertrude as more of a great aunt, even though she wasn't. I mean, she's the sister of Fenton. But for whatever reason, I hear the word aunt, and I just think someone who's old. (laughs) Kind of an Aunt May in Spider-Man. It's a shock when they recast her as younger in the new ones. Yeah, exactly. And but in reality, she should be the same age as Fenton. But it still, it still at first caught me by surprise. But I got over the age real quick. And I was like, okay, this is, I mean, like you said, we've dealt with Spider-Man and Aunt May. I think the, the actor seems like a very good actor for this part. I just think that they wrote 
her a couple different ways through the series. And I don't know if that's because there's different writers for different episodes. But it just seemed like they had her plot line down consistent through it, I think. But her characteristics seem to change a little bit here and there. But I do agree that they, again, maybe they didn't go down that path uh, with a relationship with her on purpose to fit the 80s. At the same time, I think that they were best served leaving it and just continuing with her being an aunt that is struggling with two kids that seem to be coming and going all the time. <laughs> it seemed like they couldn't really figure out what her purpose was. I mean, Aunt Gertrude, her typical categorization is sort of this old, cranky, comedic relief who the boys occasionally have to defy. And it's endearing because she's this old, cranky battle axe who the boys sort of have to outwit to get out of the house. But when she's this young very reasonable person it's not endearing to have the boys constantly tricking her i think another way you can use her is where she is an adult so she can talk to the other adults and get information for the boys and they didn't really use her in that capacity too so i agree that i think she's a good actress and i think she played what she was given well but i wish they would have given her more to work with and used her to advance the story more moving on to the most famous of the hardy boys friends chet Obviously, the first thing that jumps out at Chet when you see him is he's black, which in terms of Chet's characterization is different from the books, but doesn't really change him as a character that much. Or at all, really. The big change to Chet is that he's also good looking and athletic, which is a much bigger change to his characterization from the books. Yes, and a lot of these these actors are, are, I think, really good and played their parts really well. I think it's things that caught me off was, was more of characterizations that they were given it was it was very different for me to try to see chet as not being the the not that he was nerdy what's the word i'm looking for he's he's always been a comedic relief in the original series he made the jokes when they revised it he became more of the butt of the jokes but he was always a very humorous comedic person whereas chet in the series he's a serious guy he plays his dramatic role fairly well when we first meet him he's dating callie which is again another pretty big change from the book series. But my biggest question is, why didn't they just call him Biff? I would have had no problem with them calling him Phil. Rather than calling him Phil, I think Tony. I could have seen that too. There, there's just so many characteristics that I found with the, the Phil character that I would have thought matched up with Chet a lot better, almost perfectly in some aspects. Uh, he's, he's the one that they sort of made fun of a lot. Different things, his, his size, his shape, and different things. He um, was, I think Phil was great comic relief. I, I yeah. thought he had good timing, and he also did play off your to Chet characterizations. He was ordering ice cream all the time. He appeared to really love food. He was, I think, a very almost underused character. I loved him in every scene he was in. I wish he would have been in more, and I think he would have made a great Chet. I think part of what made some of these choices interesting is again that age gap between joe and frank meant that their friends probably had to be split up then with ages too and so joe couldn't be by himself and they couldn't all be older with frank so who do they give to who i'd not wanted to be the person who was sitting down trying to find actors and or deciding which which characters will be which ages it's just interesting to to see then that they they put more of the obviously quote-unquote biff was on the younger side phil was in between, in a sense, um, they, I think they said he was a year older than, than Joe, although he seemed to spend a little bit more time with, with the older ones. Getting back to Chet, though, I think that the, just the athletic part and different other things is what kept throwing me for a loop. Is this, is, is this really Chet? This is Chet in name. That was about it for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and he was on a farm, uh, so that made that 
that fit in very well. I mean, the the truck and it was yellow and and different Easter eggs with the license plate saying Queen and stuff. But I mean, other than that, it was a great character. I just didn't see it as Chet. And to further play off of the fact that they had to make characters younger or older to fit them, I think it's even more a curious choice that they got rid of Iola and made Biff female. So Biff is a, a female about Joe's age in the TV series. If she would have had the name Iola, and especially since it turns out she's adopted, so you could make her the younger sister of any character, really. I think she's a good character. She's a good foil for Joe. And they play into a little bit of that sort of adolescent uncomfortableness between the two that I think is pretty well done and very age-appropriate. I mean, they, they made, they quote-unquote, made fun of the name themselves and gave an excuse for it, which, you know, fine. I thought it was interesting. Then I, I kept thinking about, okay, if they named, if they did have her as Iola, what would that change from a perspective of other things of the show? Maybe nothing. Well, one thing we'll get into later is her mother, who is a police officer, but, I mean, Mrs. Morton could have been a police officer as well. And just to hit on Phil one last time, he's also technically, he is technically knowledgeable, like Phil from the case files. He comes up with a solution to fool a radiation detector using supplies found in a deli, which is, is pretty ingenious. But Chief Colling, so there have been some different characterizations of Chief Colling over the years. I really like him in the originals where he's sort of an unhelpful, incompetent, media-obsessed bumbler who actually arrests the Hardy Boys on one occasion and puts them in jail and they have to post bail. And then he, he morphs more into a helpful, competent investigator in the later series, and especially in the case files. But he's never dirty, and he's dirty right. in this show. I've gone back and I'm re-watching the, the series a second time. The first time I was, I probably sped to it too much. Uh, actually, this might be the third time I'm going through it because I watched it myself, then I watched it with my family, and now I'm going through it a third time. But I'm getting the feeling that I don't think the ending of Colleague and the ending of Gloria was necessarily what could have been intended to be at the first. Now, I just watched a, or read, I think, an interview with uh, some of the actors, and they mentioned that they didn't even know the outcome until the last couple episodes when they finally got to reading their scripts and stuff. They said they were sort of surprised at the ending. I mean, I got the feeling that they could have done where Colleague was actually just, he didn't have to be dirty in the end. I mean, right up until he pretty much pays off the thief, he could have been just fine. Sure, he was doing some extra bidding for Gloria, but up to that point, Gloria could have been just fine too. It wouldn't be weird for a small town for a police chief to give extra consideration to one of the wealthiest cities. Yeah, and so it just gave me a totally different feeling at the end. I was just like, I felt like I still don't like the fact that he's in jail. And what are they charging him with is my other question. (laughs) Good question, because I mean, I doubt anyone knows he paid Cox because I believe Cox is, at this point, missing. Unless Gloria told someone, she'd be the only other person that would know. Yeah, that's a great question. What have they charged him with? Maybe that'll be season two. He walks. (laughs) I think they played up in the last episode that Fitton, well, they need a chief in this town now, which I don't want him to be chief. But I think there's a point where they could bring in the other characters, such as uh, Con Riley. He was not in this at all. I, maybe it's a good thing they don't bring all the characters into a first season. You only have 13 episodes or so to get things in, and you can only build so many character backgrounds for people without either skipping over them, giving no time to them, or uh, spending too much time on them and not getting a story going. Um, there's potential there for the future, I could see. The last character that's sort of a pre-existing character that showed up in the show was Sam Peterson, which is really a, a Case Files Easter egg. It's a pretty short but accurate characterization during the Case Files. 
Yeah, he's one of the characters I, I found like this fits perfectly. If this is again a beginning story, he would not be in a leadership position yet with Dixon City in this case. FDP um, blue. <laughs> and so, I, I, yeah, he fits perfectly. I mean, his characterization. I mean, we're not given a huge amount of detail to his background other than he and Fenton work together. One thing that came out to me with this series as a whole is that someone who was at least part of this crew and writing new information from a lot of the series. They didn't just go, hey, the Hardy Boys are two boys with some friends named this and then write a bunch of stories. They actually pulled things out from all the different series and put details in there. I mean, I was honestly surprised that they even used uh, Samuel Peterson at all. He was only in a handful of case files, and I don't even know if a handful off the top of my head, maybe three or four. But they put him in there, and they kept him as he was. And to me, that, that impressed me. So the series, me coming into it with not very high hopes, was immediately impressed with that. And maybe I shouldn't have been, but <laughs> I was. And uh, put me on a, on a good path for the rest of this, the series. Uh, helped me probably get past a couple of the other characterizations that I wasn't as overly impressed with. So moving on to the characters that are new to the series that don't appear in the books, Jesse Hooper is the biggest one that shows up, and she does fill the role of Con Riley as the boy's contact on the police force, only unlike Con Riley, she actually has a personal connection to the Hardys friend. Again, another great character, and as you said, brand new character here. She's in, I think, every single episode. There's only a handful of the characters that were in every single episode. She's one of them. You could have given her any name, I think, to this position. She does fill the, the role of, of Riley. I can see where having it work very well with, with Elizabeth um, and her and, and that combination, especially with a storyline. Again, they neither one of them had to have the names that they had necessarily for those parts to work either. So J.B. Cox is an interesting character. And the actor, I know, has some comedy background. So he has, I like the idea of the Hardy Boys having a recurring minor criminal. The best thing I could think of was Charity in the Case File series, who also has a, a sort of a relationship with Joe, obviously of a much different character than uh, J.B. Cox, who does not have a romantic relationship at all with Joe. I, I like the idea of this criminal who can pop in and out, do vaguely roguish things, and, and then leave again. So I, I really liked his character. I did too, and I think it's modeled after, I mean, they may not have, but I just think it's modeled after the charity idea. A thief, Charity was a thief, J.B. Cox is a thief, a thief for hire, they are both thieves for hire. He was there, and then he'd escape after being, caught, well, quote-unquote escape. There was, a, there was a note, though, in one of the episodes where they talk about saying, hey, the history of this guy, the only time you had ever been captured, uh, we think he actually got himself captured on purpose so he could escape or something. There are so many things here that just matched up with charity. Uh, you throw in, I, th I think there's a lot of Case Files influences in this series more than anything else, the more I go back and keep watching it. Even the between, logo. Yeah, the logo, I mean, just right there. I mean, you can't get past that. Peterson being in it, I get the feel of, I mean, the 80s, that's the Case Files. We're killing someone off right at the beginning of the series, just like the Case Files. I mean, Iola not being in them. I mean, we just have to wait a few more seasons to see if they're going to bring in someone like a Vanessa then. but <laughs> Or a gray man. Yeah. Is Gloria Estbrook our first look at the extended Hardy family? I feel like we've had some, I mean, let's not count people like Chris Hardy, the, what was it, Double Exposure Case Files epic book where they're like, oh, we have a third brother. Not really a, 
blood relative at all. Other than that, most of the relatives, quote-unquote, were usually of their friends, if I remember correctly. Callie, they seemed like they're always visiting Callie's uncle or aunt or someone somewhere in the country. Fitton always had his friends or his old whatever that they'd talk to, but I don't remember any. Yeah, they have an uncle in one of the case files who's really just Fenton's friend. I don't recall any, so really this is... They have a blank slate in a sense as far as... And, and, and they didn't even choose the Hardy side. They chose the mother's side. As far as I know, this would be the first time her quote-unquote maiden name would have ever even been given. Yeah, so. definitely possible. But it is interesting to have one of the Hardy's relatives be one of the villains of the series. An interesting yes. choice, similar to Chief Colleague going dirty. And again, I, I felt like clear up until the end that they could have had a different outcome. It wasn't until the last two or three episodes... Uh, four episodes that it was really okay we're we're probably not redeemable at this point stacy baker is a pretty traditional black widow who gets dropped who's not uncommon in the hardy boys really the case file series so maybe that's another case files influence on the tv show pretty good as a black widow not particularly memorable i think her russian accent could use a little bit more work but all in all a serviceable minor villain uh, the more I think about it, though, she has a lot of blood on her hands. She's killed or told people to kill a lot of people at this point. Because I would have an entire boatload of people. Because she um, would have hired the tall man to start the series off and just wipe out all those. The tall man himself, she killed him. Uh, didn't hire someone to do it. She is, um, I would agree, very typical. But at the same time, I mean, thinking as I'm thinking through all the different books... Other than the Assassins, which is an entire organization, I'm not sure there's anyone that could claim as much uh, death count as, as we can put on her at this point. You mentioned the tall man already, who is just a freak of an actor. And I, I actually thought he had Morphin Syndrome or something like that, where he wasn't actually that strong. But I looked it up, and apparently he's got, like, powerlifting or something, title or something. Apparently huh. he's actually, like, a strong guy. Interesting. And is not just someone who's really tall with a deep voice. And, I mean, he's... A good villain in the roles that he shows up. And moving on to the to the, to discussion of the story, I think it's got a great opening scene on the boat. And he it, it, introdu- it, it starts off with a bang. I mean, literally, with him coming on the boat and killing almost the entire crew. I thought it was just a very, very good opening to the storyline to kick it off into high gear very fast. Yes, I, I agree. And we don't really even get back to that storyline until very end of the first episode or really the second episode i mean you do but you don't realize it until later and so i think that is a a nice ploy that they use to keep keep your interest like who we have this this event that happened now we're going to introduce all our characters and then we're going to come back and the whole rest of the show is how do we start weaving all this together Uh, that opening was was a very good opening and you combine that with the death of their mom and it, it does have that again that case files feel where we're starting off with this boom and now we got to go and, and settle in and go through the series. Yeah, the murder of Laura Hardy starting the series off does give it some momentum. And you would think the story would revolve more heavily around that, but I feel like it fades really quickly to the background. And there's a pretty unsatisfying resolution to the who killed Laura Hardy question. I wanted it to almost be, I mean, who killed Laura Hardy? I wanted it to be that who killed Laura Palmer of, of the series, but it just wasn't. It, I felt like it faded pretty fast. I don't think we're ever really told who who physically was in that car, were we? Unless we could... I, I thought it was implied that it was the butler. The butler did it. 
Maybe I need to go back and look at the card a little closer or something. But, of course, that doesn't mean anything because an actor doesn't necessarily play all those parts as I think when we were in the, the brick building. That was not Colleague in that I'm the actor that plays Colleague was definitely not the one running around uh, in the shadows. <laughs> You'd think if the butler did it that Laura would have recognized the car. Maybe he borrowed a car. Maybe he has a car that he uses for under-the-table stuff. There's a lot of things to this story that I think are left unanswered at the end. Not so much who the bad person was or the evil or the, the villain, but just little little quote-unquote cliffhangers, and even ignoring the end cliffhanger, if you can call it that. Just little things like J.B. Cox, where's he, what is he doing, things like that they could answer in the future. I would agree that uh, Laura Hardy storyline was a little bit of something missing there. It played its part, I guess, to begin it. As long as I'm griping about elements of the story, I think I'll point out, I think the story really suffered from a lack of Joe Frank interactions. I thought the good parts of the show were when they were together, you know, when they were in the attic working on the board, mm-hmm. when they were putting together the sting at, at the drop-off site. Those were where the show really signed, or when they were together at the deli putting the plan together at the end with all the chums. They spent a lot of time separate in the in the series. In fact, there may have been a couple episodes where they i don't know if they hardly were together at all maybe just real quick at the beginning or end or something and that played a big role in i think how the lack of some of those interactions although i do think that it made those interactions when they did happen i think we appreciated them a lot more again the age gap i think played a big role in how often they were together probably one of the biggest departures from hardy boys canon is the addition of supernatural elements to the story to me it seemed unnecessary i think money is just as powerful a motivator for evil behavior as potential magical artifacts and i think that they could have with a little bit different writing maybe the thing everyone's looking for is buried treasure worth millions of dollars um you have something like that rather than this mystical artifact that grants you power yeah, that's one of the things that up until the end I kept going, okay, there's an answer here. There's an answer here. We don't need to go down this route. But we went down that route. <laughs> so, again, I was like, oh, I didn't want, I didn't want colleague to have to be in jail. I didn't, I didn't want this necessarily to be a supernatural route. With that said, as compared to that particular show that I'm not a big fan at all on the CW at the moment, their route, I watched... You're, you're going to have to be a little more specific than that. There's yeah. uh, quite a few... <laughs> crappy television show. <laughs> yes, the, the Nan- Nancy Drew show. I watched the first half of the first season, and their supernatural route went just full, full, full blown. And so after watching that and then coming back and watching this and, and seeing the what I would call more of an Indiana Jones-ish style artifact, maybe I was my expectations had been adjusted from watching the other one. And so seeing how they played out here, beyond me just be, hoping it, wasn't going to be that way i got over it pretty quick if anything i think this is a perfect opportunity for them to have a tom swift crossover maybe if you wanted to take some scientific sci-fi-ish alien artifact route to it or something it was one of those things that i was uh, hoping the whole time that well we'll have an explanation for it at the end but we didn't get the explanation that i was hoping for but it didn't hurt from the overall enjoyment i had with the series just uh, one of those things i was hoping would be different Yeah, if I want to watch two brothers solve supernatural problems, I'll just watch Supernatural. This Bridgeport Secret Society. Is it really a secret society if it's three people? Isn't that just sort of like a partnership? That's part where I was a little bit... uh, One of those things I was, I think, slightly confused with with this as well. At some points, it was like, okay, it's just these three people. But then at other times, I get the idea that 
especially once you get to Rosegrave, there's a whole huge group of people that we don't even know about that are part of this. But then I'm thinking... What do they do? Yeah, what part do they play? How in the world is Stacy or Anastasia, whatever her real real name was, how does she get away with doing all this, but is she not... I mean, I'm just trying to figure out what's the secret society, what part, who's doing what? Is it just... Are they completely split up? Are there, the, are there really, like, at this point, three groups of the secret society? One for each one of the artifacts or descendants from the original three? I don't know. It was confusing how someone's going to get away with this, but why do we even have a secret society then? I don't know. So, I, overall, my opinion of the show was it was an okay show. I like seeing the Hardy Boys on the TV screen in 2020. And there were flashes of what I thought were very good parts of the show. I thought Phil was great. I thought that all the actors' performances were great for the most part. And I thought there were some some fun scenes. But I think they had a whole lot of parts, but they didn't put it together to me in a satisfactory way. I came in with extremely low expectations. I had, for the first time, watched the the previous Hardy Boys TV show from the 90s only about a year ago for the first time. Something I learned from that is you cannot have a mystery show with 25-minute episodes. It just doesn't work. Very true. And so I wasn't all that excited about that one, and I just finished watching you know, half of the first season of the Nancy Drew show. And so my, I'm like, ugh, this is going to... I mean, does anyone know how to make a show anymore? And, and my... At this point, my expectations for a great show would have been, and, and people can uh, look at me and say I'm, I'm crazy for this idea, but I'm thinking of like a, a Blue Bloods TV show spinoff. But just that style and where they could have Peterson and Fitton, it's sort of like a beginner show like this series was in a sense. But that style, and I was thinking modern times. And so I'm coming into this with all kinds of expectations, both good and bad. And perhaps my expectations were so low that I came through with this going, you know, this is actually a, a, a pretty good show. And all the things that I found that I wasn't necessarily all that happy about, I dismissed most of them. My wife thought it was a, a decent show. There were some issues. I mean, from she picked up on right away was like the sound with the music sometimes was overpowering with some of the words of the of the characters in a couple episodes. And so she's more of the looking at stuff like that. And I'm, as I went back and watched, I'm like, oh, yeah, I, it was hard hearing what they were saying. Some of that depended on what device I was watching it on. But overall, I was pleased with the show. It was not bad like I was expecting it to be. And it was a lot better than I was expecting it to be. There's things that I would wished it would have been done differently. But I would gladly watch a second season at this point and and go from there. Yeah, I don't want people to think that I think this is a bad show. I watched the whole thing, which is something I can say about very few shows. I enjoyed it. I have a lot of, of hope for the future, but to be honest, my prediction is we probably won't get another season. Thank you for listening to the Hardy Boys Unofficial Fan Podcast. Please join me next time.